Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to Episode 7. In this episode, we join two of the judges in Chambers. Join us as we listen into a conversation in progress, inspired by a recent review of Troika and a discussion of whimsy in gaming, as well as character creation and advancement rules. Come now, the Honorable Representatives of the RPG Review Board. We just played Troika. I'm interested in this aspect of wonder in RPGs, kind of whimsy in RPGs, because I think Troika embodies that. And I think it's worth discussing. But the the thing that inspired Troika for the, the guy who wrote it was this, this experience of Planescape, where he had looked at the Planescape box... Um, and, you know, Planescape was from the heyday of TSR where they had, you know, the some of the best fantasy artists working. They had all of this elaborate design work that went into their, um, their box sets and things like that. And Planescape was, what do you want to call that, laid out. It was, it was professionally published. To a really incredible degree, and he looked at the box set and looked at the art. And was like, "Oh, this is amazing! This is, you know, exploring all of these alternate worlds and alternate universes, and isn't this cool?" And then I don't think it's remotely un- un- uncommon for for people to be pe- people in, in role playing games to be inspired by something like that. that, that, that right. That that happened to me all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. No. But then his experience was running into the books themselves and reading them as just a series of charts about what wizards could cast in different planes and yeah. how clerics could contact their gods. So the the art and the aesthetic of the environment was juxtaposed with this really rigorous, uh, very different sort of feeling. So... Yeah. You got the wonder, but that wonder was, at least to this guy's mind, bogged down with all of these very complicated, very precise rule sets. Well, sure. In my experience of the Planescape, I've borne that out. You know, I, I, I go into it wanting something with a lot more wonder and a lot more whimsy than it usually ends up having. Right. Not that I, don't, I dislike Planescape. It's just I had to do some adjusting of my expectations once we actually got started and like oh okay this is how this is going to work and i had fun but it wasn't what i initially had thought it might be no i think that i don't know i suppose it depends on what what generation of fantasy you you experienced things first with but i think when i when i think of of whimsical fantasy i think of things like oh narnia with the talking animals or um, George McDonald, uh, like the Princess McDonald. and the Goblin, right, right, um, for feet. right, or um, I mean, in, even in some cases, like some of Tolkien's work is very whimsical. Right? Yeah, you mean like the, the, the chronicle, the, the, the poems with Bombadil in them, and right, um, or yeah. Farmer Giles of Ham. Yeah, yeah, you know, or, or later stuff. I think you can you can point to things like um, 
Neil, many of Neil Gaiman's works sort of tread on this this essence of whimsy. But sure. you know, even like I mean, I think the the Ur example of this is Alice in Wonderland, right? So right. the experience of moving into a world that does not follow the rules that you understand the rule to follow, yeah. right? Right, right. And that's, I think, uh, I see why that's attractive to a lot of people. Oh, sure. Because there's a, I mean, that stream of fantasy is is powerful. It's very formative. Like, if you grew up with that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, there's a kind of innocent fantasy of childhood encountering strange things in the woods mm-hmm. that, that that feeds into. Ultimately, like, because I know you you read uh, at least a part of that book of uh, Troika. Yeah, I did. Ultimately, did you find it whimsical in the way that, because I certainly did. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, one of the things that I really, <laughs> just silly, silly, silly word for it, I guess, but one of the things I really sort of respect about the effort of Troika is that it tries to do that, right? It tries to yeah. to keep the and you know its its success is pretty impressive. I think you know it's it's because in in the past I think the problem that role playing games often have with with actual whimsy is that we want to screw things down nice and tight. You know, we especially in a in a um I, I don't know what you call it a full featured role playing game. You know, not not a yeah not not a, a, a a mini game or something, but you know something like DCC or Dungeons and Dragons or you know something that seeks to create a model for reality, right? Right. And so, if you're gonna do that, then the whimsy is kind of hard. Okay. Do you remember years ago you were DMing a campaign and I can't remember something about the setting. Something about the setting made me think. All right, I'm going to play an elf, but I'm really going to lean into that whole fae thing. And um, I, I, my memories are faint, but I, I seem to remember something about that setting. Elves were very unusual, or they were they were different in some way. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to really, you know, get into making this guy as non-human, as completely fae as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. I never was satisfied with that. I, I don't feel like I succeeded in doing it. You know, I I would occasionally do silly things. Like I think once we were at a, bar, a tavern or something and I, I just thought oh, I, yeah. I was going to crawl up into the rafters and drink a bowl of milk, you know. And, mm-hmm. But most of the time I was just a regular elf and I was so disappointed <laughs> in myself yeah. for not being able to make that happen. But I think the, the, the way that D&D campaigns play out. Not that what I did was impossible. Someone cleverer than me might have been able to make it happen, but it doesn't encourage that sort of thing. You know, when you get into a conflict, you're going to get into a fight. And, right. you know, you're going to fight like it's optimal to fight in D&D, and that's not going to involve elf shot. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, so, I guess that's the point. There's a kind of... um you said that we want we have this urge to nail everything down, but that's actually what the game part of the role playing game does. Sure. It's like okay, well, 
now that we've established that you exist in this other world, we have to quantify in some way your existence in this other world. And if we quantified it in, in, some, in this particular way, that means, by definition, it is not quantified in this other way. Or, or, or you have lost the ambiguity mm-hmm. that might create that feeling of, of whimsy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think we were talking about, just the other night we were talking about uh, Doctor Who. And Doctor Who is itself a world. It's, it's very, very clever of the creators to have done this, but it is a world that has no canon because it's a, a show about time travel. Mm-hmm. So, whatever they decide to do, the show writers decide to do, they can just say, "Well, you know, time stuff happened." And <laughs> wibbly wobbly time you know, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and and. Therefore, this new story is completely plausible for that reason. Sure, sure. Um, I think so. This is this is why I I don't know that whimsy can ever fully work in an RPG because, unlike that experience where like what exactly the powers of the electric screwdriver are are left sort of ambiguous because right. they don't need to be nailed down. It's more fun if you don't. Right. In a game, it's like, okay, but what can I do with this thing, really? Like, what are the limits? I think that the way we often critique fantasy, at least on what I think most people would call high fantasy, something like Tolkien, part, part, part of what makes it good for most of us, I think, is that it has inner consistency of reality. Sure. And that's what we're shooting for. You know, the Lord of the Rings has that to a very high degree, and some fantasy settings have it to an even higher degree than that. And that's the opposite of what you and I are talking about now. Right. It's the, the sort of the Tolkienian sub-created world. Yeah. That once, you know, once you have the givens of Tolkien's world, everything else flows from it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is internally consistent. And what we are talking about is more like fairyland experiences where this mm-hmm. is the way things are because that's the way things are, right? There is a princess who has been asleep in this castle for a hundred years. Why? Because she pricked her hand on an enchanted knitting needle. Like, right. it doesn't have to make sense. It just, it, it has a kind of a story sense or something like that, but it doesn't have this internal consistency so all right so with um with troika you know how does it succeed and how does it fail doing this i think that your your experience if if you want to have a whimsical campaign what you need is a, a group of people at the table who want to have a whimsical campaign with you right right and it seems to me, I think this is one of one of the things about something like Troika that gives me pause is for the right group, that whimsical experience is there in Troika. And I think that the kind of nebulous nature of both the world and the characters embraces that that sense of whimsy mm-hmm. and and everyone can enjoy it as long as everyone is there to do that. Yeah. And it's it's one of the reasons I think that that sort of experience is always going to be a little bit niche because or niche, 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 whatever. Niche, um, niche. <laughs> yes. Something like that. 
because people play games for different reasons. And I don't want to kick my friend out of my game because he wants to play a game involving optimization of character. And this is not going to let you do that in any significant way. No, if you're, if you're into min-maxing, then Troika is not your game. No. You know, most people aren't into just one thing. So, you know, <laughs> but... Uh. That's true, but I, I think about... I think about friends that I have who want to game with me. Yeah. Or want to be part of the group, but are not particularly socially comfortable, want the company, but don't want the kind of the social pressure to be part of a of a certain type of storyline that something like this implies. Oh, we need to dig into that. I'm not sure what you mean. I I, I what I'm thinking about is that people talk about rules light as something that that it's freeing in some way right and i i think that in some sense it is like oh i don't have to pay attention to all these you know the rules for how many arrows i'm carrying or the you know how far away they are when i make the shot or how much i can move and for some people that's very freeing for other people taking away that definable quantifiable thing is actually harming their fun. Yeah. It makes it less fun for them because they want to be there with their friends, they want to support their friends and do their thing, and do their job, but if that job isn't clear, that's hard for them. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know if I'm making that uh, I think point so. clear. Yeah. Um... I'm just saying that with the game, so if you're going to say that whimsy is something that you get from a a relatively rules light or a kind of a hands-off approach to character creation and world building, mm-hmm. then, you know, there there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And you do trade off something. And I think the trade-off you have is that you kind of close off that, close off the RPG experience for some people who just mm-hmm. are never going to be comfortable in that world. Yeah, and... I, I guess maybe in a more concrete sense, um, you're, you're forestalling what most of us think about when we think of adventure. Mm. You know, you're not going to have an adventure in Troika in the same way you would have it in Savage Worlds or Dungeons right. and Dragons. You know, there's not going to be these hairbreadth escapes. There's not going to be... Un, the unexpected is rarely going to happen because the group of you are sort of making a story together and determining how things go. Right. Well, and or you might think that if you think about something like Alice in Wonderland, what it really is is a series of conversations with strange people. Yeah. Right? Alice sure. Alice in Wonderland never gets in a fight with anybody. Like that would be ridiculous. Sure. She is mostly our eyes and ears as we explore this nonsense world. And a lot of it is meeting odd people, having interesting, funny conversations with them, and then moving on. And if if that's your jam, then I think Troika is great, and mm. playing a whimsical game is great. But it is you're right; it is not a like, hey, we're going to delve into the dungeon and uh, you know um, shepherd sure. our resources and make wise right. tactical decisions. Right. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. You know, you can have adventures. You can go into a dungeon and come out with treasure, but it, it's going to be—it's going to somehow serve a storyline rather than the storyline serving 
the players. That's not really what I want to say. I'm trying to put this into words. Before Troika, the closest experience I'd had to something like that was on um, storytelling games, where we were all sitting around a table. I, I remember I was with this one table of people who played these things all the time, and they were good fun, where there's they're DMless, right? You know, they're generally played with fudge dice, you know, right. pluses and minuses and blank and blank faces on the on the d6s, um, and so. As a group, you're just kind of going through and making up what's going to happen. That's the experience analogous, most analogous to that in in my mind, uh, in in my experience. So Mm -hmm. I guess what Troika kind of did to me was take the storytelling game and give you a DM, you know? It's a lot more collaborative than most RPGs. But but it does do that thing that if I'm... I'm grasping your concept of the storyteller mm-hmm. narrative-driven game correctly, the process, in some sense, is dictated by what kind of odd things people can add to the story, right? Yeah, people are sort of under pressure to come up with something really entertaining. Right, yeah, right. Which is, there is nothing wrong, like, there is no bad, wrong fun, right? There's nothing wrong right, with that exactly. type of fun, but... It is for a certain type of person. And other yeah. people feel enormously pressured by that experience. Mm-hmm. People people react in different ways that you wouldn't even expect. So my sister is a novelist. And doing those sorts of things with her makes her very uncomfortable. Hmm. She does not like that. Right, right. But people people who've done improv, I think, love that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. I, when I first started playing with this table of people that I was telling you about, I kind of went into this thinking, this is the kind of thing I'm going to love. Started, and it wasn't the kind of thing I loved. I just felt a lot of pressure to be clever. And right. it, was, it wasn't until my second or third session that I finally kind of fell into the rhythm of this thing and started actually enjoying it. It took me a while. Um, yeah, it is something that you have to kind of you have to kind of work yourself. Like it's the first time you ever do improv, you know. Well, sure. It, it's it's there's a lot of pressure. You feel really strange, and the, the people have been doing it for a while. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll get into it. And then once you do, once you get your kind of training wheels off, mm-hmm. yeah, it can be a lot of fun. But yeah, that that initial thing is intimidating, and I think that's one of the reasons that some of our players felt intimidated reading this thing because there's just it really is sort of the guardrails are off. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I think was it Elliot who says that blank verse or is um right. is like playing tennis without a net right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like where wait a minute where are the boundaries? What what am I supposed right. to do? What can I do and what can't I do? Which is the yeah. wrong question to ask. You eventually figure out, but it's right. what we've been conditioned to expect yeah. through years of playing playing the hobby, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. I, you know, something like this. I, I guess the before we move off this, because I, I did want to bring us back to something that you want to talk about last night, because I had this thing about the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. And so going back to... It's just like, we, yeah, ostensibly we're talking about Wondering RPGs, but really it's about Doctor Who. <laughs> but before we leave this, I guess, I guess one of the things that I would offer as a piece of just observation and general advice is that if you look at a rules light system and think, oh, look at what 
look at this great benefit that this offers to my players. They don't have to think about all of these cumbersome rules. Mm -hmm. Realize that may be a benefit, but it is not without some price. Sure. And that for some people, that is going to be uncomfortable. And they are going to need a little bit of time to get comfortable with the freedom that that involves. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Okay. Absolutely. A bottle or a couple of cans of your favorite intoxicant on the table. (laughs) Right, right. Or just a couple of times. Yeah, do it a couple of times. Once you've played it and like, oh, okay, I get the the feel for this. I know what to sort of expect. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the TARDIS. So this is an earlier conversation that we had. And I think that I said something about thinking of RPG rule sets as... Tardises, where the experience of playing in a rule set is going in and seeing if there is sufficient, if it's bigger on the inside than the outside. Yeah. So, which is which is the general sort of claim of an RPG rule set. It's like, hey, look, you could do anything with this. Right. You know, it's bigger on the inside. And sometimes you walk into an RPG and play it a little bit, and you're like, yeah. You really do a lot of stuff with this. And other times you walk in and it's like, nah, it just was painted to look bigger on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) What was the example of that you gave me? I don't remember. Uh, Well, you know, I think a really good example is uh, Tiny D6 Supers. Okay. You know, it's like, oh, hey, look, you can play superheroes. Anything you can imagine in superheroes you could do. It's like, no, actually, there's a relatively few number of things that you can do. Oh, right, right. I remember you talking about how you advance your character a couple of times and you're pretty much done. Pretty much done. No more character like, advancement. Um, right. And so what, you know, whereas if, if you look at something like a truly robust rule set, you know, it's like, oh, I could be using this for years and not get to the end of it. Right. Yeah. Whereas something like time and, you know, maybe this is on purpose, right? It's a light game. But it's a lot more like a fun house. You go through it once, you're like, okay, well, you know, I saw the funky mirror. I, I don't need to do it again. Sure, sure. Yeah. And anyway, so I said that, and you said, well, I don't know that I agree with you, but let's talk about it on the podcast. So right, exactly. we're on the podcast. Right. Talk. Okay, and here we are talking about it. So here was the thought I had. You, 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 I think you also, I think you brought up Savage Worlds as something that is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And, sure. and I would agree with you. It's the sort of thing that sort of has endless possibilities for you know growth and and that sort of thing anyway so what i wanted to talk about and i think this kind of goes back to troika a little bit okay um, i think just intuitively i don't have any evidence for this so anyone who's listening out there um any feedback you have about this tell me if i'm full of it or tell me or give me examples of how it's true for you or whatever i think that there is a large population, or at least a, a large minority, maybe, of tabletop RPG players who don't really need that sort of mechanical scaffolding. They don't care if their characters ever go up a level. If, if, if the game would allow them to start with the character that they want to play, mm-hmm. then they could just go on and play that character into the future uh, we talked about how in Tiny D6 Supers, there were character advancement was pretty limited. Right. And, you know, you, you weren't going to, you know, change all that much. We, we, we then talked a little bit about 
how canonically in comic books, generally, you don't see superheroes getting better. You know, Spider-Man can do what Spider-Man can do, you know, and there may be some sort of Venom subplot or, some, or, or you know, a, a reboot, you know, mm-hmm. that changes a little bit about him at some point. But Spider-Man doesn't get better at being Spider-Man within the storyline he's in. Right. You know, he, he you know, he, there, there's, there's a brief origin story where he learns to use his powers. And then after that, he's Spider-Man. Right. You know, and he stays Spider-Man and it never gets old. Right. You know? Well, the, so the, the thing that happens is that storylines resolve. Right. About, about Spider-Man resolve. You know, will yeah. Spider-Man defeat Dr. Octopus? Yes. You know. But defeating Dr. Octopus doesn't give him a new superpower. Yeah, it doesn't level up. Right. Right. No, no. it never happens. And I have played at tables with people who were very much into the RP right. to the point that they could have a complete session that is nothing but the group of them talking to an NPC. Sure. You know, and talking sure. to each other in character. And, I mean, they played for a long time and their characters went up many, many levels um, because they stuck with their one campaign for years. You right. Know? And I suspect, although as far as I know, they never got the opportunity to test this or even talked about it out loud, but I suspect that if they had been able at first level, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, it would have to be a levelless game actually, but right. at character creation to make exactly the character that they wanted, they didn't have to level up to get to where they wanted to be. Right. They were just able to create the character that they wanted. They could have gone on happily, the DM and the whole table, just making up stories with these characters in them maybe getting the the occasional new magic item or something but i know that these these guys had and they were all guys um this was back in the 80s and they had they had all this political intrigue there were these various kings that they had all dealt with in the past and that they could go back to and talk to and make deals with and broker deals between kingdoms you know that was what these guys were into and they had fun doing it I think that a game designed for people like that could find an audience. And Troika kind of does that. I do think it does. So there's a couple of things that I think are true about that. One, in my experience, uh, specifically I think the last significant Greyhawk game I ran had that aspect of highly involved political machinations and things like that. And honestly having the characters need to level up mm-hmm. and thinking about XP in that type of a game is a pain in the ass from sure. the DM's perspective because it's like something that mm-hmm. is occupying a huge part of the narrative of the story, like who killed the Duke or something like that. Right. Um, somebody like, uh, hey, I'm fifth level now. I can cast Speak with the Dead. Let's just figure this out, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and... You know, so or or characters who had to kind of step carefully around the, you know, the king's bodyguard have now leveled up several times. And like these guys are scrubs. Who cares what they think? Like we can just walk all over them. Right. So, from that perspective, yes, a game where you don't gain levels um, from the DM's perspective would probably be very useful. And then from the player perspective, if your character, like in Troika and in some other games, is just a a kind of 
narrative conundrum to be solved rather than a way to advance in the world, right? right. So, for instance, mm-hmm. I think Nathan's character in Troika was an exiled king. Like, right. mm-hmm. that's a narrative conundrum. Like, you don't need to do anything else. It's just like, hey, I would like to, I would like my throne back, please. Sure. And however that resolves itself. And yeah, you could play for years and years and with the right group of people, that would be fine. The fact is like, oh yeah, I guess, oh, I found a new spell. Cool. Oh, I got a magic item. Cool. But you, you know, it's like every once in a while you get a little bit better at something, but it doesn't really matter. Maybe you gain another skill because you spent 12 months with, you know, the, the forest outlaws. Right, sure. And, you know, so, the yeah, I, I can see your point. Um, and I, I think the, the argument there is that if what you are after is narrative, in some sense that traditional power-gaining process that most RPGs have is actually detrimental yeah. to the resolution of a story because if you get to the point where you have the power to just fix your problem right then the narrative disappears sure right and if you if you can't start out with the character that you want to play because in the in the power balance of the rule set you're dealing with you know it's like well you know i I want you know this is a superhero and you know i need him to be able to do these three things. Right. Um, and the game says, yeah, that, that, that's fine, but that's way too much power for a first-level character to have. Right. You can have those three powers, but you're going to have to work for them. Well, okay, now I've got levels and levels to go before the character is the character that I want to play. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with having a leveling up system. I have played my entire life in those systems and right. been happy as a clam. But... Um, this has all gotten me thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have a game system where you just make the character that you want, you, everyone at the table talks it over with the DM if there's going to be one, and everyone decides, you know, can we have a balanced game with everybody having the powers that they've selected? Sure. All right. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is a rule set out there, and I haven't found it. There are lots of them that I haven't seen yet. I am given to understand that Amber Diceless works a little bit like that. Oh, really? Which I have never played, but is one of those, like... Amber is in Zelazny Amber? Yeah, Amber Diceless really? role-playing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was... Um, I think it was the very first Diceless system. It came out in the... I want to say the early 90s. It's long out of print. The author has died... So unless somebody gets the rights to it and reprints it, I don't know that we're ever going to see another version of it. Mm. But um, eBay, yeah. Um, but it <laughs> it is kind of legendary in the same way that like I don't know, Finnegan's Wake is legendary, right? Okay. It's like it's this it's kind of this singular monument of role playing game design, but it's off in its own little corner. Like it yeah, didn't yeah. really go anywhere. I think there are, you know, maybe two or three spiritual sequels to that. Other people tried to do diceless systems, but yeah. I've heard of games that are diceless. I didn't know much about them. 
in my conception that I've just come up with sitting here, it wouldn't necessarily need to be diceless. Um, no. But it sounds like, you know, there are other aspects to it that, that would... I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about it now. I'm going to find a copy sometime. Yeah, the thing about Amber is that um, you were talking about a green at the beginning of the game about power levels. One of the things that you do when you create your character in Amber, I understand. Again, I, I have also not had a copy of this rulebook. But you actually hold an auction for different powers. Oh. So hmm. as a group, you know, someone, you know, this is like, who, how much are you bidding for being the strongest character? Hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, I don't care about that. I want my character to be, you know, quick and clever. So hmm. I'm going to bid low for that. Um and so it, it really is all about this trade-off of like, what is my character going to be? And so I'm going to push for these things, but I'm going to leave other things to other people. And so it is much more about building a, um, a narrative character. I understand, again. That, that sounds very Zelazny to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Roger Zelazny would approve. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so I, my one caveat to your your thing about do we need to have a game where you level and power and that sort of stuff. And um, so my one caveat to that is just this idea that people get in the game for different reasons, right? Wow. And I've a maxim I've held for a long time is that if you have had a shitty week and you want to go and kill some orcs. Right. <laughs> and you sit down at the table, and you've got your fighter and his magic sword, and there's some orcs in that dungeon. You can go kill some orcs and blow off some steam, and you're fine. Yep. Yep. And your buddy, who is really into his character's backstory and the ongoing intrigue with the princess and all that sort of stuff, can enjoy that just as a frosting layer atop the rules cake that you are right. eating, right? <laughs> right? But the reverse is not true. If I just want to kill some orcs and I sit down and it's like, well, this is a game in which it's all about finding your narrative arc and, and resolving inner conflicts. It's like, <laughs> I'm really tired, guys. I just... Can we have a dungeon with some traps? <laughs> like, and, and all I'm saying is that if... If you're going to pick a game, like if, if your group is like, we want to do this, like no levels, we just want to develop these characters to the nth degree. If everybody's on board with that, great. But if your group, like I think most groups, is a mix of people who play for different reasons, then the other guys are going to need something Sure. where they get plus one for great X specialization or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Just sort of in closing, I'm glad that people are out there doing this sort of thing and trying. Yeah, it. like sure, it's just exciting. It's exciting to see people pushing the the technology, I guess. Yeah, or sure. the, the art, the art. Form yeah, out a yeah. little bit. If you if you haven't played Troika, go go get yourself a copy. It, it, yeah. It's it's worth a perusal. It's, it it it's is cool. it is definitely not other types of games, and I think I think it will either be something that sets your brain on fire, um, as it did for me, or it'll be like, what?
This is the part that Adam usually edits out where we right. I ask if there's anything else we need to say. I'm, I'm hitting stop, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I should do the same thing. Um, there. I've stopped.